Hello, my name is Don Marshall. You might remember me from the Don Marshall podcast show. Well, my new podcast show is called Don Marshall and Company, where we will be discussing the unique experiences of being black and gay in America. From discrimination to black excellence. And I'll be interviewing black gays and their personal experiences about being gay here in America. I really hope that you enjoy our show. Let's get started. Hello, this is Don Marshall from Don Marshall and Company. And I have with me today, Eric Brown, who lives in the greater area of Sacramento, which is off called Citrus Heights, the little city away from Sacramento. And Eric is going to talk about his black and gay experience for one or the other basically what I what it sounds like with him. He's multifaceted. So Eric, tell me about yourself. I am a 45-year-old, very multifaceted, multidimensional, and multidisciplined black man mm-hmm. who, who is independent and I live on my own. I don't have any children. I am the proud uncle of 23 generations. So that's who I am in a nutshell. Okay. What are your achievements, Eric? I first went back to college when I was uh, 25 years old. And I went to a local community college called American River College, in which there I received two associate degrees, one in liberal arts, one in human services. I then transferred to uh, California State University at Sacramento, in which I pursued my bachelor's degree in social work. And since then, I have worked in a variety of mental health settings, one of which in particular, I worked with at-risk youth who were sexual offenders, as well as other youth or with the severely emotionally disturbed. And so as a residential counselor, so in those experiences, I got chance to, particularly when I worked with the, the youth sex offenders, I encountered uh, some youth who struggled with their sexuality, some of them being gay, some of them being bisexual, some even, you know, wanting to gender bend or, or be transgendered. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so with that, dealing with youth in their psychodynamic phase of their life, mm-hmm helped to help me to understand a lot more about myself as a gay male adult mm-hmm. and particularly a black gay male adult since mm-hmm. some of the children I worked with were of various uh, races and nationalities and and for that reason a lot of issues that you know was presented to them by virtue of their race and nationality also, Helped me to understand some of the issues that I faced of my own within my race and nationality. Wow. That's quite dynamic, Eric, especially the achievements. What kind of things are you very passionate about in this particular community or, or in general? What, are you, what kind of things really, as an African-American man, and eh, happen to be gay, what are some of the issues that you want to, want to express yourself on? Okay, some of the issues that I'm very passionate about Mm-hmm. are ones that relate to what I've seen happen, particularly with the quote-unquote, I would like to refer to them as a subgroup because in many ways they're not a part of really the dominant um, LGBTQ plus community. Uh, but what I've seen happen with, you know, the, the Black subgroup within that group 
is that a lot of them are faced with, and these are some of my passions to work with them. Some of them, many of them are faced with homelessness. Mm -hmm. Many of them are faced with addiction. And when I say addiction, I don't mean medicinal marijuana or, or anything, you know, that uh, could be holistic in that way. But I'm saying, you know, the hardcore stuff that, you know, for that reason has either landed them in ERs or for that reason put them on a suicidal and even homicidal path. Wow. I'm also, I'm also concerned about, you know, as it relates to black, young gay black men, mm -hmm. the potential for exploitation mm -hmm. by older, many times men of other nationalities and even ones of, within the black community who look at their situation and their vulnerability as a result mm -hmm. and try to exploit or take advantage of them, you know, whether it's for the purpose of sex, whether it's the purpose of, you know, fulfilling some sort of fantasy mm -hmm. uh, or that, you know, is in some way deviates from what would otherwise be considered healthy sexual behavior. Right, and, and I have to interject on that because I, my experience I've seen since I moved from uh, your area of the world into the Northwest where there's very few, less than 1% of African-Americans up here and very, very small numbers like gay community here. So I've seen a lot of exploitations happen where I've seen homeless black, usually the ones are, you know, and I'm just going to say it, hung. I see them attached to an older white man with a beard, you know, carrying them around. And, and they've, uh, they've told me their uh, exploits with them and pictures are a lot of pictures taken that they were selling and so forth. And yeah, I, I definitely see a lot of exploitations here, primarily with Caucasians, but also if you have what's called, and everyone you, and you guys, you brothers out there know, you know what a BBC is, you know, and, and I get, especially on the dating site, I, I only want a BBC, which is very derogatory. And, and, uh, and that seems like that's only what, you know, oftentimes I see the exploiters hunting for, you know. Well, it's not only just, you know, the, the, the infamous BBC that they're, you know, sorting after when they, you know, attempt to exploit, you know, young black strapping men out there. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to this whole being able to, like for many, for some of them out there, they have this, you know, sort of depraved fantasy of, you know, having someone that's black to be like a slave unto them or a house mm -hmm. boy. I've seen and that too. They, and they being a master and they want to engage in sadomasochistic, you know, sexual or psychosexual. And it becomes more of fulfilling a depraved sort of inhumane fantasy sexual fantasy that mm -hmm. they have been, you know, in many cases, lifelong wanting to fulfill. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and the icing on the cake to the fulfillment of that fantasy is, you know, why they go out here and they sought out young black gay men. Mm -hmm. Now, it's almost in a sense that they, you know, want their fantasy so that they take on the same pathology as someone, say, for instance, in the case of a psychosociopath or a serial killer mm -hmm. you know they they have to first you know have that fantasy uh of wanting or desiring you know these this uh sexual fantasy mm -hmm. in such a way that you know they will start out even when they're younger as children maybe in some cases mm -hmm. where they may even where they may even want to play out their fantasies with an animal or oh, even with God. uh 
in, in terms of bestiality or even one that, you know, in this case is not mentally capable of being able to, I guess, in that way, fend for themselves and to, you know, properly and reject any type of offer for that type of situation mm -hmm. to engage sexually. Right. And they, they, they require somebody that's weak-minded. Right. They, on, they, on the other hand, are narcissistic and for that reason thinks that this person that they're looking to victimize in that way because mm -hmm. it's not, you know, in many cases, it's, 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 it, they have to be master manipulators. Right. They have to, in some way, secretly try and change their mind about, you know, whether or not to do it, to do these acts with them in order to get them where they want them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it can be a very dangerous thing. Like, for instance, there was a report here recently about a famous rich white man that lives in LA. I'm not sure if he was an actor or if he was just an employee of Hollywood, but he wasn't in the limelight or, or, or in the screen light. Mm -hmm. And this guy recently passed away after he had been convicted of exploiting a, a young black male who he had, he, he had given drugs to, who was homeless and didn't have his own car, didn't have his own place and what have you. He actually served time in prison for the death of this young black man because oh, he drugs uh, a lethal mixture of methamphetamine and hallucinogenic and other sedative drugs all at the same time to get him in such a vulnerable and right. you know helpless state right. till he ultimately died as a result of it and this man actually served time with the prison for wow. it was released and then he recently here passed away and believe me you nobody was was sad over his death because the legacy he left behind was not one to be proud of and was one that you know had people you know from the black community and even you know beyond the black community even in the in the dominant society very upset because he wasn't nothing but a predator Right, a prayer, and you kind of sound like Jeffrey Dahmer almost. <laughs> what you're telling me? But yeah. Well, wow. he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't engage in anything cannibalistic like Jeffrey Dahmer, no, but, but, yeah. I, but the same but, principle. But, but, of, uh, same, well, well, yeah, exactly. The same principle of of, of being a predator. Absolutely. Well, it was the same pathology. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, a, a sociopath is a sociopath, right. and the one thing that that is marked about a sociopath is that they do not have. They do not have any empathy for the people that they victimize. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like in, in terms of social science, Freud would, would Sigmund Freud would, would, would say and, and, and taught that uh, sociopaths lack superego, which superego is nothing but your good conscience. Mm -hmm. And so when there's a deficiency or lack thereof it, then people, you know, that have been diagnosed, you know, mental health wise in that condition will result to doing pretty much anything to to anyone um, that they feel that they can, you know, use and abuse mm -hmm. and that they mm -hmm. can encounter and get in a very vulnerable and susceptible position to them and whatever they look into do with them. Mm -hmm. You know, I see a lot of seen the black community, uh, of course, and speaking directly about our community, I see a lot of fatherless 
children oftentimes. And usually when they're faced with the decision of becoming gay and, and, and trying to reach out, the worst thing they can run into is a predator because it's a total bonanza out there with young black men who are still home taking care of their their brothers and their, or younger siblings and mothers working and reliant on that person. And they're trying to find themselves. It's, it's an easy target for uh, predators to just grasp upon that show them money, show them different things they're not getting on the regular, and seeing that that's the way to go. Predators have their way of romance. Absolutely. I've seen that too many times. Well, I'll use my own experience. In my own experience, I've not officially even came out to my family. And that's because it was tumultuous growing up enough with them, you know, having the suspicion and looking at me and saying that I had the, the mannerisms and, and behavior that was associated or would otherwise be perceived as being that of someone that is gay or mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus in that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, it's it's real hard years, in our culture. It really is. Now, over the years, what has happened is that while I still have maintained my silence about it or simply I just won't come right out and say, yeah, I'm gay, is that to them is that they see their, their perception, and even before my mother passed away, I knew that she knew that I was gay, even though I never came right out and told her it. Because one of the things that she did one year, a few years before she died, mm-hmm. is that she sent me a Father's Day card on Father's Day. And I ended up calling her because my mother lived out of state. Mm-hmm. And I go, Mom, why do you send me a Father's Day card when I'm not a father? And she said to me this, and this is what told me that she obviously knew, mm-hmm. is that she said, well, maybe you have mentored some young person or some kids out wow. there in some ways. And she, and she already knew that I, I worked with youth anyway in my, in my job and what have you. Mm-hmm. But she, she, she made it a point to send me a Father's Day gift. And, and I thought it was very, you know, outgoing and, and, and very open-minded for her in a way I had never, ever experienced or heard her speak. To mm-hmm. say to me, well, I'm sending you a father's gift because while I know you don't have no kids and while I know that you're probably not going to have any kids, that you've mentored other young men out there and that some way, somehow they benefited from what your experience has been, whether it was as a gay, whether they knew you were a gay man or thought of you as a straight man or whatever the case may be. Aww. You, you, I, and, and she did it not only just that one time, but um, for from that time on for the for the for the rest of the father's days until she passed away oh. she was in and and even before that even happened me and her were engaged in a discussion one day and she went to tell me about another man that she knew that grew up that that lived in our community where I grew up at which wasn't here Sacramento Citrus Heights is that she knew of a man in back in her days when she was young who used to would dress as a man during the day mm-hmm. and that he would by night dress as a woman and would go out Mm-hmm. And so that also told me that she was, again, you know, open-minded to what my lifestyle would be in, in, in this life or what my behavior and, and, and characteristics would be in this lifestyle, you know, and, and that, you know, while I wasn't coming out right out with her, with it, that she wasn't going to love me any less and that she was, wasn't going to be non-accepting of me, even mm-hmm. if she, for that reason, but it was on me at that point 
to say to her, yeah, mom, this is the case with me or what have you. But I just didn't go there because, you know, I, I still didn't know. There's still all the rest of the family besides the mother, who in many of the cases with these young black men that are that are out here that are young and gay, they're more times likely to be accepted by their mothers than their fathers. Right, absolutely. In fact, my brother, uh, when I was laid off, I came back home and I had a lot of my magazines in those days because we didn't have, you know, VCRs to carry around or whatever. We we would have our, we called them rags. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with rags. They were the old, the, the, the magazines you got in the bookstore of foreign activity on a uh, two-dimensional. And I would collect those. And when I uh, got laid off at one job, I moved back home. And my brother uh, came visiting, found out I wasn't at home, and brought them out. Showed my dad. Went into my private, my 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 suitcases and things, and brought them out to my parents. Said, "Yep, there he is. He's gay." And I was away from home at the time. And I came in, and my oldest brother, who just got out of the navy. Said to me, he says, I knew there was something odd about you. I knew you were gay. I knew there was something about you. I couldn't put a finger on it. And you wouldn't let me go out with you when we came out. You know, and I said, Yeah, okay, so what's going on? All right, enough of that. Now that you know, what's going on? And he told me, Well, they went through your things. They, they started going through everything. And Joseph going through every, my other brother. And so they were exposed. So I had to stop then and I had to say, Okay. If this is the case, you know, they, they say a tiger, when he's trapped in a corner, he'll come out fighting. You know, I had to kind of get to a point where, all right, now they know. Now they know. Okay. So are they going to, are they going to, and my concern was, are they going to treat me the same way or are they going to treat me different? And definitely was a difference because what I even heard my mom and dad arguing in the bedroom where she said, you you didn't treat the, him like the other two older brothers as the only two older brothers. You did more things with them, them than him, and, and 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 he'd say, "Oh well, you ran, you know, you kept him under your skirt tails, and you 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 know, you, you hung on too tight with him." So there was that argument. But I realized something biblical that came to mind is the truth will set you free. Once it was off my chest, once I knew that they know, and now I'm okay with it. I'm not going to change. I'm still the same dot they always were. And then they started to, well, my mother finally started to accept me. And my partner, I had attached to later on, where my father, I didn't speak to for four years. And towards, towards the end, later on, he, re- he relied on me real heavily to this death. So. But yeah, you were going to say, Eric, I'm sorry. I was giving my experience as well about that. And Usually the male well, is, is the one that uh, usually curls up because he didn't expect the son to be that way. Well, I want to piggyback off your experience and, and in reference to mine. Mm-hmm. And that is that one of the things that I, even with while me not officially coming out with them, mm-hmm. but them being, you know, highly suspecting and stuff, especially with my oldest brother, mm-hmm. is that they anticipated that because they had already formed a conclusion that I was, in fact, gay, Mm-hmm. is that I was going to be this type that was going to come home dressed like a woman and that I was going to have problems mm-hmm. hair down my back or, or, <laughs> or, or, or wearing women's hairstyles. Mm-hmm. I was going to be drinking wigs and, 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 and drag. And, 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 and see, this comes down to you know how people need to be more educated and they need to mm-hmm. have more exposure. 
Now I grew up in now what's different from you and I mm. is that I grew up in a in a small rural southern town. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's not quite the exposure, nor is there any type of scintilla mm-hmm. gay established gay community there, or much less a, a Lambda Center or anything like that for someone who is in the lifestyle to go to or mm-hmm. to be able to go to for information about this thing or anything. Right. It wasn't taught. It wasn't even incorporated in in schools and what have you. And even right now, it's a big controversial law that got signed into governor, uh, signed into law in the state of Florida by oh, its Santos. Oh, uh, call. And this is just what it is. It, it's, it's supposed to uh, prevent schools from uh, teaching about alternative lifestyles, such as, you know, gay, LGBTQ plus life mm-hmm. to kids that are of a certain age in school. And really, it was, it, it's really to discourage it from being taught to all school kids mm-hmm. at all ages, but they really wanted to target them being able to, you know, expose them and, and teach them about this as part of sexual education in the younger grades, like in kindergarten and, and, and first grade and so on. And, and they call it the don't say gay bill, which they resent it being called that because they want to, at the same time in that state, appear to be open and at the same time close to the, the, the gay community. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it, it, it's like um, people have this notion that when you're a gay male, mm-hmm. that all you want to do is be a woman. And it's oh, like... No. Yeah. When my folks see, when my folks seen, even my local folks seen who were who I more so came out to than my folks back home, that I wasn't the type that was going to be coming home, coming over there dressed as in no dress or in no women's clothing or with no with no women's hairstyles or or women's accessories to be dressed in. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, was looked just as brawny and just as macho and just as masculine and manly as the the next straight guy is out there and even conducted myself as such they then wasn't even it it wasn't even an issue for them anymore Mm. about me being gay or that i was engaged in in sexual activity with men and in one occasion i was with a past lover whom you know that would occasionally come over to when i worked for my uncle would come over to his house and care facility that I was running and would spend nights with me. And my uncle was well aware of it, who's passed away now, but Mm -hmm. at the time when he was alive, as well as my aunt, they were well aware that this person was coming over to spend nights with me and and likely would be engaging in sexual activity. And they had no problem with it whatsoever because I was their employee. They wanted me to treat their house like as if it was my own because I was there in charge. And again, it was like, okay, so they knew that I still looked like a man. I still had all the behavior, behavioral mm-hmm. characteristics of a man. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all they were really worried about was how my outer appearance would change as a result of it. But what I did behind closed doors and everything, they didn't worry about it. They, right. it, it, it bothered them not at all. Well, let me, so, let's, let's paint a picture about, you know, when you said, you know, what kind of work did they do actually? You know, because you did mention that you work with the viewer there employee. So let's let's talk about that until we can paint a picture to the audience what you were doing. Uh, your family is working as what group home or what were they doing exactly? My family runs and owns a facility 
for developmentally disabled. These are okay. people who have who had birth onset mental health conditions or disorders, mm -hmm. such as, you know, we have people there that are schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. uh, we have people there that were born with a birth defect like Down syndrome mm -hmm. that affected their me mentality and the way that they would have to, you know, live in life. Mm -hmm. We also have people there that were diagnosed with pervasive mental health illnesses like manic depressive or, or bipolar mm -hmm. or you no, know, uh, depressive episodes. And so they were prescribed medications, psychotropics, you know, that they were prescribed by a psychiatrist. They lived in this setting to better to, in, in, this, in living in these type of settings was to integrate people that, who may have once been institutionalized into a community setting mm -hmm. and, and in a more mainstream setting so that they don't stick out so much. Right. Uh, and can, and can maintain their anonymity and their independence right. in the integrative setting. Right, we, we're, we, you know, and I came from a brief background working in mental health, actually a, a psychiatric facility, and 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 I think what 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 that struggle was to get them into what's called community reentry, and I think that 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 sounds like that was what you guys were doing too, is getting them into more of instead of. A institutional, but more of a uh, you know a little bit more of an independent like setting, which is amazing. Well, an amazing family, uh, a, a semi-independent, or as I would rather say or use the word interdependent setting, because they still require assistance right. and supervision. Right. right. But you know, this is like an interdependent setting for them, so that they mm -hmm. can be able to take ownership and responsibility for their daily life mm -hmm. and their daily life activities. Some of them even work in you know specialized settings in which they can work in some of them are part of wraparound programs that provide them an area of of services uh in the community so that they can support their daily living and and maintain their independence through interdependence in the community and so having done that actually was the footing and the grounding that motivated me to go back to school as I did at age 25 to mm -hmm. pursue, actually, I'm sorry, that was at age 28, uh, to pursue my degree <laughs> in a relative field because I've seen the difference it made in the lives of these people and what, you know, made in the difference of lives of people. And so I wanted to expand what my abilities would, would be with them in terms of situations and, and, and settings that I would work with them in. Well, like, for instance, I was able to go from working into working with them in a group home to working for them in a psychiatric or or more more not not even a what I would consider to be totally a psychiatric facility, but it was like an uh, outpatient psychosocial mental health setting mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. they had like a community center for them to gather and they could eat snacks and watch TV and socialize with other peers like them, and they also had an on-site psychiatrist that many of them had gone to to be seen. We had some people at the in the program who required that the medicines would be administered to them intravenously. And so, and that was to more so keep them in baseline mental health than if they were to have to take pills on their own or something like that, because either they may overdose or they might, you know, accidentally, well, overdose purposely or accidentally and, or, be around people that may get them into other drugs that may counteract the drugs that are there to correct the, the biological deficiencies that they have in their brain to 
be their most functional mental health wise. I've seen a, a woman where I went to visit a client of mine who was actually hospitalized in the local mental health hospital. And when I went to visit her there at this point in time, when I did, she was so out to lunch till the point where I would be talking to her and she would be looking at me. And it was like, okay, I could keep on talking, but it was as if no one in her brain was at home. She mm -hmm. was so out to lunch. So she wasn't even responding. She was just, as I say something, she would say something at the same time as me. And it wasn't no, no cognition, no comprehension, no nothing. And then two months later, after, you know, medication and counseling and all that kind of stuff, when mm -hmm. she was ready to, when she was ready to be released from the mental health hospital, she actually was able to sit down and hold a conversation with me. She wasn't, you know, having all the body reaction and, and, and mannerisms mm -hmm. that she would have when she was, you know, in a mental health emergency, when she talked to me and could respond to me and, and, and carry on a conversation with me as sophisticated and as, you know, lucid, someone yeah. as lucid as she wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And so I was, you know, very, I was, you know, impressed and I was very encouraged and I was very motivated by the difference I seen in her subsequent to treatment and how different it was prior to treatment. So that's a lot of what my motivation yeah. is to being the multi-dimensional, multifaceted and multidisciplined person that I am when it comes to the work I do. And, you know, I'll tell you something, uh, for those folks who don't really know Eric, but got a great a grasp of his great personality. This guy, okay, is actually a dynamic person who gives a shirt off your back. And I want to say, Eric, you, I really appreciate you coming on with me. It's now close to the end of the time. Any final words that you might have in terms of what you would like, the direction of black and gay, what, what direction you basically want in a positive way to happen and, and things that needs to, things that needs to change and then we'll go ahead and end the show and i'll give you my final thoughts go ahead eric what needs to change about the black gay community mm. is that they need to become more visible for one thing and that they need to pull together their funds and their resources mm -hmm. to establish their own businesses as well as their own agencies that are there to support them mm -hmm. because they have a specific they have very specific challenges when it comes to the dominant society that we live in. I love it. Their mm -hmm. counterpart, white, even their counterpart, Latino, even their counterpart, Asian members of the community do not have and, 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 and is not a part of their plight in being a part of the gay community, the, mm -hmm. the overall large gay community. And like I said, at this point in time, they're just merely a subgroup, an invisible subgroup within the overall group. And they need to come full circle and, and come to the forefront and, and be established there in a way that, you know, makes them visible and that they're able to be that difference that makes a difference in the lives of other gay and upcoming gay black people. Wonderful. Men, whatever gender that they wish to identify with. Right. Uh, it has to be a, an overall overhaul mm -hmm. of what the community is. Absolutely. And so if that can happen, then we're we're going to be off to a wonderful start and hopefully to a better, better and brighter days as a community and as people. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you very much, Eric, for this. And 
you know, you definitely have to be a a, a, a friend of our show, and we're definitely going to have to have you back with uh, some more infinite knowledge that, that you've experienced. Thank you so much, Eric, for being on the, the first show of Don Marshall and Company, and I hope you guys out there listening can definitely acknowledge by giving us a thumbs up, making comments, and so forth. So thank you very much. And Eric, I, thank you, my dear friend, for starting our first show off. And definitely, you got to come back. And thank you so much for having me, Don. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, sir. That was an excellent show with Eric Brown. These are my final thoughts. My final thoughts are that we, as a Black and gay community is that we bond together, that we be aware of changes that are happening on the right side. They've already stopped the abortion issues and now it's starting to go towards gay marriage and various other things that the LGBT community plus community has been striving to move away from. Get out and vote. Vote for the people that are going to make a difference for our community as well. Pay attention. Get out to the polls. Also, mentor a young Black gay person and show them the right direction versus falling into the arms of predators. And please don't be one yourself. But one of the things is, is we need to stick close, take care of our, our own community, and make sure that we thrive better than what we've been doing. We can't always fit into the LGBTQ spectrum but we can we can definitely embrace the similarities, but there are vast differences. And we can clearly say that a white gay person probably can get away with still more than a black gay person. And yet we see the black gay person is exploited oftentimes by the size of his particular area or whatever issues that, that pulls them into that particular desire. We just need to keep focus on doing well, moving ahead, and striving for Black excellence. Thank you very much, you guys, for listening. Come back and listen to us again. Thanks. final thoughts. Just reviewing what Cynthia said is absolutely correct. And uh, you can see that she was definitely a, a community hero with all the various jobs uh, and accomplishments that she had. Uh, a real community hero and I'm glad to have her on the show. Uh, and, and like she said, you know, we need to have a think tank. We need to have the, a group of affluent black men who can make moves and changes for our community uh, and, and thinkers to talk about the directions that we need to go and put forth a goal and make those kind of things happen throughout the community. Um, and so that was an excellent show on that. I think we need to have think tanks about things and focuses on goals to make change, to continue black excellence. Thanks for listening. Hi, Don. Uh, well, you wouldn't say that. You would. Uh, this is a test run. So I hear. I heard you come on. So okay. now I'm ready to announce you before you say anything. I'll give you the cue, and then. Well, know. I can hear you talking. Go ahead. Right. So no, we're, we don't need to do. 
it's not like this is what we do when I call you on the second. Okay. Are you with me? What? I said, this is what we're going to do when I, this is a test run. I can right. erase this. So this is what, so when you hear come on and you hear me, I'm talking to the audience to introduce you. Okay, go ahead. Keep talking. And then you'd say, okay, let me do a trial. So run. I shouldn't have clicked on then. No, you click on. Okay, just, yeah. just be quiet. I, yeah, you just be quiet and let me give you your cue. Okay. Okay, so for example, when you clicked on, I would say, you know, thanks for calling our show. You know how I do. And then I have a great guest on. His name is J.G. Gonsalves, and he is going to tell us our unique experience of being black in America. Good day, J.D. How are you today? Well, I'm doing fine, Don. Well, super, super. So let's let our audience know who J.G. is. Tell us about yourself, J.D. Well, I don't even know who I am at this point. <laughs> <laughs> you see what I mean? That banter. Yeah. You know, I'm at that, I'm at that age, Don. You know, I'm going to be 79. Uh-huh. And I've been reviewing my life recently, and I'm thinking about that gay black boy, you know, way back in the 50s uh-huh. Uh-huh. that tried to do everything perfectly, you know? I was right. raised by my uh, Portuguese immigrants, uh, grandparents, you know, the Cape Verdeans. Uh-huh. And, uh, and for you, those of you that don't know what Cape Verdean is, it's uh, actually a mixture of African and Portuguese. It's the where That's they amazing. settled in the Cape Verde Islands. That's where my people are from. But it's, it's very, very Latin. And uh, as far as being gay, there's no such thing as gay. You know? <laughs> right. Not no in the Latin culture. Uh-oh. No such thing as gay. And uh-huh. I don't know. You know, I'm at that point now where I'd love to talk to that little boy, that, that, that me that was so closeted, that was uh-huh. so scared that that felt I was a misfit, that God made me wrong, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know? And why wasn't I normal like everybody else? Oh, uh, we've all been through that, absolutely. You know? and yeah. I think I spent most of my life, Don, you know, trying to fit in to a society to be accepted. I know. On some level. I'm so there. I, I, know. I, won't, I won't even mention the, the black thing. We'll get to that. Uh, just the gay thing alone. Alone, I yeah. get, making sure that my finger didn't stick out, making sure that I didn't ca- that I carried my books the right way to school. Wow! You know, the fifties. I mean, they were they were a tough time. You know, it wasn't gay friendly. <laughs> yeah, well, no, no, definitely. You're preaching to the choir in terms of understanding that, man. It's just, it, it's amazing that you got through that. Well, you know what I find a sad uh-huh. is that I got married uh, I got a girl pregnant oh, so not uh, how I managed that but I did I got this girl pregnant and I uh, wasn't really in love with her but I went off to the military and found out that I had a daughter and of course I was going to do the right thing because I came from a dysfunctional family with right. in the home uh-huh. now, I, I, I told myself that I was going to be straight you know, uh-huh. I, I thought that that was my ticket to legitimacy. Uh-huh. You know? So 
my one, my life has been a life of denial. And what that did for me, being not only gay and black, was denial. Class Portuguese, yes. Uh, just being denial of self. Uh-huh. And that led me on a path of drinking and drugging. Right. And becoming a crack addict. Oh, right. Right. You know, and I'll tell you something. That's the worst experience because I'll tell you, we go through self-loathing. You know, why can't we be normal? Why can't we be? And, you know, you know, and from knowing you, I know you're heavy Catholic, right? I mean, in terms of that was your. Listen, I was an altar boy. I was going to become a priest. You could have been, if you're an altar boy, you, you could have had some action. <laughs> I want to show you how it was back then. I right, remember no, how right. I was so devout and I had this thing for being close to Jesus. And my, I remember um, telling my father that I wanted to be a priest, uh, an altar boy. And my uh, father says, oh, the only reason you want to be an altar boy is so you can wear a dress. Uh, <laughs> and that just cut through me, you know? Oh, yeah. You get a hit of venom in that. Yeah. yeah, there were cruel things done back then. You know, yeah. going to toughen me up by beating me down in the cellar with gloves and stuff oh, like that to toughen me up so I wouldn't be so effeminate. Oh, wow. So, yeah, God. You're and then I got married. Now. Like I yeah. said, I got married. And I stayed in that marriage until she died. And I didn't come out of the closet, Don, until I met you, actually, in mm-hmm. Sacramento. And I was in my, what? 50s. You were like 52. Yeah, about 52 when I finally came out of the closet. And, and, and how it came out was, you know, I ended up doing an internship for Music Circus in Sacramento. And when the internship was over, you know, I had explored and gone to a gay center. And I just, I couldn't fit back into that okay. box. It was like trying to fit into a cigarette box. Uh-huh. I, just couldn't fit. And so out of the guilt and the shame, I turned to drugs. And right. That, that There's was, that self-loathing part that we... That self-loathing. Like yeah. I, you yeah. know. You don't and think I you're worthy price. enough. I paid a price for it. I was naive, didn't know better, ended up with contracting HIV, mm-hmm. you know, almost dying. I mean, it's a long, long story. Right, right. But I think what I, I really want to say through it all, I know that God was guiding me. Uh-huh. I, I know that that sounds like, well, how could God be guiding you through the crack houses? But, you know, <laughs> I've always been psychic right. since I was a small child. Uh-huh. And even when I was doing crack at the crack houses, I was doing readings for people. Wow. And there were people that got off drugs because of, of me. And wow, I managed to get off drugs. You know, I got into a 12-step program. Uh-huh. And then slowly, bit by bit, things changed. Once my, my wife was a diabetic, a, a brittle diabetic, and she ended up dying. Mm-hmm. And in that process of her dying, then my daughter died of diabetes. And oh, then my wow. father died. Diabetes is no joke. Yeah. You know, mm. and that just drove me over the edge. And when I came back from that... I was not the same person. I had a spiritual awakening. And so doing this podcast is very special to me because I don't want to dwell on all of my 
stuff. It's like I'm qualifying that I have a right to, uh-huh. to, to speak this truth. And this truth is that I have a higher power. I have a God that is so loving. Not the God of my origin. Not my Catholic God that would condemn me for being gay. Right. God that loves diversity. And that my job, my job here on earth is to be all that I can be. Not what you want me to be, mm-hmm. but all that I can be. Mm-hmm. So I might not be enough for you, but I'm more than enough for me. And there's, I'm going to be even more than that. Yeah, I'm there's a definite clarity. My full potential. So I'd right. go back and tell that gay boy, or I'd go back and I want to talk to all those gay kids out there. Uh-huh. Don't try to change. You came here with a mission. Each of us has come here with a purpose, a divine purpose. Like I I talk about DNA, and my acronym for that is Divine Nature Activated. Wow. Each of us, Don, has a purpose here, and that's to be fully realized. So when someone says you're full of yourself, what say, why, yes, I am. I'm going to be so much more. Is that what God <laughs> wants me to be? And even at 79, I am learning how to free myself from mm-hmm. some of the story that I told myself that I lived in the story. It's, you know? total, it's total liberation. I mean, you feel this freedom. But before we go any further, it's 10 minutes we've done so far. You are at your prime right now. I hate to. Uh, and I've got background noises and stuff because she talks about being yeah, in a quiet okay. place. But this was great practice. We did a good 10-minute practice. I am ready on the second. And, and jot notes down and 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 uh, so forth. And uh, we'll get this, you know, something like a wonderful program. I and, hope and I already jump is. all over the place. I hope so. Well, you know, I'm going to have to put a lot on Facebook and put it out there to listen. My friends on Messenger and all that and send them all. And, and that's what I do. And they get some pretty good reviews. So, yeah. So, JJ, you did a great job. I'm going to go ahead and erase this. Okay. But, um, I, I Look at you. You're so dynamic. That story was so touching. I, 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 it was everything I could to stop. Because <laughs> I'm getting, I'm pulling the needles out of my diet, and the beeping you hear in the background. That's something. I got, I got it. I got it. So you go. Okay. Go do, go do what you do best, and yes. that's shine. Well, you know what? You do what you do best is overcome and inspire. <laughs> right. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.